Welcome to the All-American Chapel Protestant Service Podcast. This week's sermon will be given by Chaplain Mark Miller. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Psalm 63 says, God, you are my God. I seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Father, we know this morning that we need you more than water. We need you more than air. And we pray this morning that as we've come here together to worship you, God, that we would have that reality in the forefront of our minds, that we can do nothing apart from you. God, that we need you every single day, and we have come to this service to charge our soul, God, with you, to prepare us for the week that is ahead where we will be tried and tempted, where we will be tired, God. We're here today to be filled up by your spirit. And so as we come before you now, we pray that you would clear our minds, we pray that you would cleanse our hearts, and focus now our attention on you. We pray all these things in Christ's name and all of God's people said, amen. I'm Chaplain Miller. I'm one of the chaplains here at All-American Chapel and also the Devil Brigade Chaplain. Who has heard of the Devil Brigade? Let me put it this way. Who has not heard of the Devil Brigade? This morning you're going to hear of the Devil Brigade. Sir, it's a sad morning when we're a quarter mile from the Devil Brigade headquarters, and we aren't quite sure what it is. I'd like to share with you a little story this morning as we uh, begin, and it's a, a story based in September 1944. Anybody born and was around in the Army in 1944? Chaplain Gidson, I'm, I'm old, but I'm not that old, uh, but I think we we may have had some World War II veterans around here at one point, but uh, it's becoming a smaller and smaller community. September 1944, paratroopers of the 82nd and 101st Airborns had an amazing mission in front of them. It was a mission to jump into Holland. Many of you may know it as Operation Market Garden. It was to jump into Holland along an avenue of approach in which armor forces were going to advance into Germany so that our force could be home by Christmas. Anybody been deployed and imagined being home by Christmas? Well, as you can know what these paratroopers were thinking, we're going to jump in, we're going to knock this out, and we're going to be home by Christmas. So they did. They jumped in, and then they realized that, okay, we've got some objectives in front of us. And those objectives included five key bridges along this avenue. Many of you know some of the names, Vagel, Grave, some streets around here and communities by that name, Arnhem. But one that particularly is near and dear to my heart is a community called Nijmegen. Anybody live in the Nijmegen community here? Okay, we've got one Nijmegen uh, veteran back there. Nijmegen, a city strategically positioned with several bridges crossing the Wall River. The Wall River was a, uh, you know, it, it was not really an issue to the paratroopers when they were preparing to jump because they were going to seize the bridge across the river. When they approached the river, however, they realized that maybe this obstacle is a little bigger than what we imagined. 
You see, the Germans held the bridge, and the bridge was a mile long. So what do you do about that? Well, as in true 82nd paratrooper way of doing things, they devise an alternate course of action. Well, let's just cross the river. Okay, how are we going to do that? You know, once a paratrooper is on the ground, he just walks everywhere, right? It's not like he's got ways of getting around. Chaplain Aragine talked about flying around in Blackhawks a couple of weeks a couple of weeks ago, but we just walk where we go, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. And so what are you going to do? Walk across the river. No, they devised a plan. They devised a plan to use rowboats to cross the river. I know what let's do. Let's, let's get all these boats together and let's paddle across the river. Never mind the heavy enemy fire that we're going to be faced with. Never mind the observation that the enemy has on us because we're the 82nd and this is what we do, right? Can you imagine how the paratroopers would have felt? You're prepared to do an airborne assault. Although, you know, airborne operations had not been along that, around that long, it doesn't take much to stand up, hook up, and jump out the door. You know, you just close your eyes and there, there you are, you know, you're not jump. But no, you're prepared to do an airborne assault, but a river crossing is a little different. Can you imagine what they may have been thinking when their commanding officer, Major Julian Cook, said, hey, we're going to cross this river, and here's the boats we're going to use. And they looked at these boats, and they are wooden frame boats covered with canvas. And where's the Evan Rude 50 horsepower on the back? No, it's row, row, row your boat. And many of them, after they stepped out into the river and started receiving fire, was rowing with everything they had, their weapons, their paddles, whatever you may name it. It was an amazing mission, an amazing challenge. But for Major Cook, it was just another day. You know, he had jumped into Sicily, Salerno, and Anzio before this mission into Holland, and he was 27 years old. Imagine what a courageous leader that would have taken. Say, come on, paratroopers, let's take this river. As we look at today's text, we find another account of a river crossing, an account of God's amazing work among his people. You may remember from a couple of weeks ago, Chaplain Aragine set the stage. The children of Israel have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They have eaten manna, they have eaten quail, and they are thinking about something different. They are ready for a change of mission. They are ready to enter the promised land. Spies have sent out, been sent out across the river, and they have confirmed that the enemy is melting with fear. How would you like to get that report back from your reconnaissance guys? Hey, sir, the enemy's melting with fear. We've got this. No problem. Chaplain Anderson in the world, he's in over there. You know, that would be a prime psychological operation target, right? They're melting with fear. We've got this. They know the people in the land they're about to seize. They know that these people who are coming are led by the living God. They know it's time for Israel to follow God, and Israel is ready to follow God. There's this sense of anticipation. Israel is totally obediently devoted, trusting that God will take them into the promised land. 
They are ready to enter this land that has been promised to them as their home. They've wandered long enough. They, they get the consequence of disobedience. If there's any kids in here, know this. It took 40 years for Israel to get over the disobedience to God. So if you disobey your parents, how long do you think it might take? Thought I'd throw that in for you parents out here that might need to hear that. The generation of leaders who failed to follow God's direction has passed, and the next generation is ready. I'm sure that among their people, there's a sense of anticipation, fear, maybe even doubt. But God has chosen a new leader for them. And who is that leader? Give me some feedback. Who's that leader? Joshua. Exactly. Joshua. We're going through this series on Joshua. And we know that there is a lot of focus on who Joshua is becoming as God's chosen leader. Joshua, a strong and courageous leader. Joshua didn't start out that way necessarily. You may remember that he was one of 12 spies that was sent into the land 40 years earlier. He was one of two spies who came back and said, Moses, we can do this now. But opposition, disobedience to God said, no, we're going to wait. So Joshua got to wander in the wilderness with everybody else. He got to see what God was doing and preparing the people for when they were ready to cross. Now, 40 years later, he has been selected to take the lead. Can you imagine how he may have felt? He knows this people. He knows their strengths. He knows their weaknesses. He knows that they have doubts and fears and imperfections. He knows that they have a tendency to disobey God. How would you like to assume command of a unit like that? He knows this about the people, and God knows this about him. And God says to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. How would you like a senior officer to tell you that? Chaplain, you got this. Be strong and courageous. You can do this. I know it's your first assignment, but you can do this. Be strong and courageous. Think about how that would build you up. And then think about this. As Joshua was preparing, as he assumed command, the leaders of the tribes of Israel come to him, and they more or less take an oath of office. They say, Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. They took an oath of office. They pledged their support totally to Joshua. And then they said, only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against you, against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Talk about the consequences for disobedience is death. And then they conclude with the same thing God said to Joshua. Only be strong and courageous. The strength that Joshua would need was not only physical strength. He would need a strong mind, a strong spirit, and a strong will. He would need courage in the face of a treacherous obstacles, of facing numerically stronger enemies, and when standing for righteousness, when Israel doubted and feared and failed. He would need strength and courage. 
as we look back at the history of our paratroopers at the Wall River, we know that Major Cook was put to the test. And he courageously stepped up. What did Major Cook do? He got in the canvas boat, he grabbed a paddle, and he started paddling. Reciting, by the way, the rosary as he was paddling, if any of you have seen A Bridge Too Far. That's based on historical fact. But he led the way. He paddled. He jumped in the boat. Weapons fire all around him, knowing that the enemy could see him, knowing that the smoke screen that had been set up had drifted away and that they were in plain sight of the enemy. He led the way to the other shore. And when he got to that shore, he turned around and he encouraged others, come on, come on, go this way, go that way. He directed traffic as the rest of his battalion came ashore in order to accomplish the mission. Major Cook was, by the way, a leader with a strong faith in God. As the one that God chose to lead his people into the promised land, Joshua had a strong faith in God as well. And he was put to the test. You know, last week, Chaplain Wilson expressed that sometimes there's times in life when you're tapped on the shoulder and said, hey, it's your turn. It's it's your turn. God tapped Joshua and told him to go and prepare Israel for where he was taking them. He gave specific instructions to prepare them for what they would face. And that's what I'd like to spend a little bit of time on this morning. What were those specific things that God gave to Joshua to pass on to the people? Because those principles and things that we can hang on to as we consider today what rivers we may have to cross. Joshua 3, verses 1 through 4 says this, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Have you ever wondered, why did they say that? Why did they say that? We see in this passage that the leaders are all in. They're totally devoted to support Joshua. The officers go through the camp. They trust that Joshua is going to be a strong and courageous leader. They go through the camp with a sense of authority and assurance, giving instructions to the people, conducting pre-combat checks, pre-combat inspections, PCCs and PCIs, for those of you who are familiar with that. They tell the people specifically, move out from your position and follow the ark. You've probably known an NCO who's good at giving directions, right? All right, private, look, you move from here and you follow this direction, right? This is all you need to do. And that's what I envisioned the officers were doing. You move out from your position and you follow the ark. They were just giving instructions, trusting that Joshua was leading them. And then they tell them. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. 2,000 cubits is a long ways. The distance of 10 football fields. At my age, I can't hardly see 
2,000 cubits without assistance, right? And so I would have to look and say, I think there's an ark up there, but I'm not going to get any closer because they gave specific instructions. Why? Because they had a reverent fear of a holy God, a reverent fear of a holy God. They know also that there are unknowns across the river, and they tell the people, they say, look, you know that you're going somewhere you have never been before. You don't know what's over there. They acknowledge that these people are probably worried about it. Has anybody ever been somewhere you've never been before and you kind of worried about it before you got there? Yeah, I'm with you guys. I, I would quit. It's like, I've, I've not been there before. I don't, know, I don't know what it's like. I remember my first deployment, you know, deployed out right out here out of Fort Bragg back in, and, uh, you know, that was a long time ago. And so I didn't know what, none of us knew what to face. And we were told, you, you might not come back, you know. We don't know how long this is going to go. That was in 1990 when we went to the Gulf War. And we didn't know what, nobody had been to Iraq before. We didn't know the culture. We didn't know what to expect. These people didn't know what to expect. They had never been that way before. They were anxious. Maybe they were fearful. And the officers say something, whether they realize it or not, that is a profound truth. And you might want to mark this in your Bible or write it down. They acknowledge that they have never been this way before, but they are assured that as they follow the ark, the presence of God, they will know which way to go. To them, it's simple. Follow the ark, the presence of God. That's your azimuth. Set your azimuth on God. Follow him, and he will take you where you have never been before. They set their azimuth, their direction on God. And then Joshua 3, 5 says this. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Look at the person next to you and say, amazing. Amazing. That's the kind of things God is going to do among you. Amazing things. Before moving forward into the promised land, Joshua said, consecrate yourselves. Now, Israel would have understand what, understood what consecration meant. Because you see, they, they consecrated their firstborn. The firstborn of every family was to be set apart for God. They consecrated the tabernacle and everything in it. They consecrated the altar of burnt offering, and it was made most holy, the word says. Before moving the Ark of the Covenant, the priests were told to consecrate themselves. And we find in Leviticus this command from God to Israel. Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am the Lord your God. You are to be holy to me, because I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. I have set you apart. So consecrate yourself. Now Joshua is reinforcing this command. He's saying get ready. Prepare yourselves for what the holy living God is going to do among you. In other words, get rid of the things that corrupt you. Get rid of your impurities, your sins, the hang-ups in your life that keep you from following God fully. Consecration meant to set themselves apart. Total holy separation. Devotion to God. 
It was an act on the part of each individual to devote, devote himself to follow God. And as a result, Joshua says, God is going to do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourself because God is going to do amazing things among you. And then finally, we look at Joshua at the end of the chapter, we see what he says to the people. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. You know, I envision that as a commander who is standing in front of his formation. All the companies are, are, are in line. And he says, all right, fall out and make a horseshoe around me. Come here. I'm going to tell you something. Because I want to speak to you as a leader who cares about you. Joshua says to the Israelites, this is how you will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly drive out the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. He names all of those enemies they've got to face. He's like, look, guys, we got to cross this river, and we've got to face all these enemies. There's all these enemies, and I'm acknowledging that, and I'm acknowledging how you're probably feeling right now. Joshua says, see, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. That's it. That's our course of action. We're not going to get in canvas boats and row. We're not going to have to get in an aircraft and jump on the other side. But the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. And as soon as the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. The reason I talk the way I do is I'm from, I'm from the rural southern Arkansas, okay? Some of you may be like, I'm trying to understand this guy this morning. But the word heap is something I understand. You know, you heap potatoes on your plate. You, you know, you heap gravy on your biscuits. That's a heap. But I'm envisioning what the, a heap of water would look like when it's piled up. The water from the flooded Jordan River is going to be piled up in a heap. Now, these people have a little bit of a point of reference, and we're going to get there. But first, let's look at what Joshua says. Joshua told the people to follow the ark because that was the holy place, the visual reminder of the covenant between God and his chosen people. He said, keep your eyes on God. Keep your eyes on the ark. God made a covenant with Abraham years earlier, a divine promise to bring them into the promised land. He had also pledged to be Israel's God as they obeyed him and followed him and totally consecrated themselves to him. And like a great leader, Joshua reminds them, look, keep your eyes on God because he has, we have this covenant with God. He loves us. Consecrate yourself to him. And he will lead us. He also acknowledges what is on their mind. The fact that there's enemies across that river. And he reassures them that the living God is with them and will be among them. As he fulfills his promises and maintains his covenant with his people. He will drive out the enemies that they face as they are obedient to him. All they needed to do was to follow him, follow the ark. That's the course of action. The ark 
represented God's place of authority, his holiness. His presence was among them, and he would lead them across the treacherous Jordan River. This morning, I hope you'll consider a couple of questions. First, what amazing things will God do in your life? What amazing things will God do in your life? In here. And then this. What amazing things will God do with your life? What will he do with your life as you consecrate yourself to him? If you choose to follow him and consecrate yourself to him, totally devoted to his plan, what lies ahead for you? What we see happening in this passage of Joshua captures several things for us to consider. One is to keep our asthma set on God. There will be times in our journey of life when you don't know which way to go. Not physically, but emotionally, spiritually, in your relationships. Set your azimuth on the true direction that only God can provide. You may be facing a hard time or an obstacle that is treacherous. You may be confused with where you are in life. Maybe you're somewhere you've never been before. Filled with doubt and fear, plagued with anxiety, wondering which way do I go. What Joshua told the people is something we should all remember. Follow the presence of God and then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. Just follow God. Set your azimuth on him and follow him. Another thing we need to remember is this. Joshua told the people to consecrate themselves. Set themselves apart for God. Set aside the things that corrupt you, your impurities, your sins, your hang-ups, and follow God. While they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, God had prepared them for some of the challenges that they were going to face and the promises he had in store. Despite their imperfections and doubts, God chose them for the promise that he had prepared for them. They learned to follow him. And lived by his faithfulness to them. In Romans 12.1 we read that we are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. And in 1 Peter 1 we find a passage that lays out it more clearly. Therefore... Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. God is preparing us for what he has prepared for us. But we have to do our part. We have to allow God to change us. Rahab made that decision. When she chose to shelter the spies, she chose to leave the life that she was living and follow the, God, the life that God had for her. He did an amazing thing in her life. And when we are totally devoted to a holy God, we will see him do amazing things in our life. But we have to be all in. We have to consecrate ourselves to God and say, God, I'm going to give you this, and, and I know I'm not perfect. 
I know that sometimes I'm going to fail. My wife can tell you that happens to me about once every hour. I don't know. Ask her. But I fail. We're all imperfect humans, and yet when we bring our imperfections before a holy God and say, God, I need you to take this because I can't do it on my own, he does. He does amazing things. He delivers us from those things. But we have to do our part in bringing those things to God. Then there's one more thing. Remember, there's still a river crossing that Israel had to make. Joshua prepared the people, he encouraged them, he exhorted them to be consecrated to God and follow his lead. And so they did. And God immediately removed the obstacle in their way and and he didn't have them face their enemies, right? Wrong. They still had to cross the river. They still had to face the enemies that were in front of them. They still had to face the obstacle that was right in front of them. They still had to cross the river. God didn't remove the obstacle in their way, but he overcame it. Lying just on the other side was the promised land. That's what the people had their eyes focused on, the promised land. For years they had been waiting to leave the wilderness and enter the land that was promised to their forefathers. I would imagine that many of them kind of felt like a five-year-old on Christmas Eve. It's like, it's coming. I know it. I can see it. You know, in, in four days... We will be 60 days from Christmas. That makes me happy, all right? 60 days, and we're going to do all this holiday stuff here at the chapel. And there's a sense of anticipation when you're right on the edge of something and you're ready to go in and seize it, right? So I would have to imagine this is how the people felt. Anticipation and expectation was likely overwhelming for many of them. They could see it just across the river. But... The word says, now the Jordan River was at flood stage. Just kind of offhand. Oh, by the way, Andy, the river's at flood stage. Okay, don't worry about it. You know, the Jordan River typically is about 100 feet wide. I don't, I've never been to Israel. Anybody been to Israel, seen the Jordan River? I would love to go. About 100 feet wide from what uh, historians tell us to wherever you go. Uh, back in the day, you know, it may have been a little different than it is now. But it's generally 100 yards wide. When at flood stage... It can be as much as anywhere from a half mile to two miles wide. Anywhere from a half mile to two miles wide. A lot more than 100 yards wide. And here they are at the Jordan River for three days camping out. Did anybody go look at the Cape Fear River when it flooded? Anybody, anybody curious and you, you, you had to go, good, I'm proud of you. You, you. you obeyed what people told us to do. Don't go down there and, you know, get on the roads and, and be, endanger yourself. I used to go look at stuff like that. I still do. I didn't go look at the Cape Fear, uh, but I don't know why. If you look at a flooded river, what do you see? You see this rolling water. You see all this debris coming down the river from the trees and the up, that have been uprooted. You see all of this, this stuff, and you see the river is just rushing. So here they are camped out for three days on the banks of the river. And all these kids are running down to the riverbank, and they're looking at it. It's like, oh, man, I don't want to get in that because that's scary, right? And a lot of the adults are looking at that and saying, oh, man, I don't want to get in that. How are we ever going to get across? Even with what Joshua has told them, 
they are probably still worrying. Waiting at a flooded river, though, helped them to re remember how utterly, totally dependent they were on God. They couldn't do it. They were not 82nd paratroopers. Okay. They were not 82nd paratroopers, and they didn't have canvas boats to try to row across a flooded river. But they did have a way across, and that was through obedience and following God. But they knew they were totally, utterly dependent on God. What the paratroopers who jumped into Market Garden did was amazing. The mission to cross the 400-yard wide Wall River in canvas boats tested them to the very core. But they were determined, focused, and dependent on their leadership to help them. Israel was too. They were committed. They were totally determined, focused, and devoted to follow God. And God didn't disappoint them. As soon as the feet of the priest touched the edges of the water, the water stopped flowing and piled up in a heap. It flooded a town upriver called Adam, Adam, I guess you could say. It flooded. It had to have flooded. It said it piled up there in the plain. And the people crossed with their muck boots on and waded and sloshed through the mud, right? No. No. Andy's going to touch more on this, I think, next week, right, brother? They walked across on dry ground. Amazing. I mean, it's amazing one thing that the river stops flowing and piles up in a heap, but then they cross following the ark on dry ground. I'm sure this was reminiscent for many of them of another water crossing that their families had made years earlier, and that was crossing the Red Sea coming out of Egypt. It was evidence to the people across the river that, uh-oh, we're in trouble. This is the same people, and they've got the same God. And he did the same thing. I think then their hearts were truly melting with fear. It was evidence to Joshua that God was still with him. And it was, he was lifting him up as he was, as he did with Moses. God was the source of power, their source of hope, the source of victory for Israel as they made this crossing. Verse 10, Joshua had told the people, this is how you will know that the living God is among you. I pray this morning that it doesn't take a miraculous stop of a river for you to realize that the living God is among you. Because you see, there's some lessons here that we can take away from this passage. It's not about the river. It's not even about the promised land. It's about God's covenant with Israel and the amazing things he did in their lives as his chosen people. He led them into what he had prepared for them because he loved them. What about us? Do we love God and do we trust him enough to follow him? Will we concentrate ourselves to God and trust that as we follow him, he will take us to where we've never been before, an unknown Will you trust him with your journey through life, even though he doesn't remove the obstacles in your way? Even though you may have to step out in faith and follow him, knowing that he's going to lead you where he intends for you to be. As you ponder these questions, I ask yourself, I ask you to ask yourself if you are devoted totally to him. Maybe like Joshua, you have been called and chosen as a leader, a leader of men, a commander, 
somebody who is in charge of other people. I encourage you to be a godly leader. Follow God, and he will be with you to empower you with wisdom, strength, and courage. In other words, be strong and courageous. God has called you and placed you where he intends for you to be. Be strong and courageous. Maybe like the people of Israel, you're an imperfect person. You've got doubts, fears. You're kind of wondering in life, where am I? Which way should I go? Well, I ask you to consider this. How can you have direction if you don't know who you're following? How can you have direction if you don't know who you're following? I encourage you this morning to follow God. Set your azimuth on Him. Consecrate yourself to Him, and He will go before you and lead you to where you have never been before. Maybe your life is at flood stage. Things of life have hit you hard. Relationship failures, financial stress, challenges in parenting, personal failure have risen to a point you don't see any way across it. Your life is at flood stage and you wish there was a way to cross it. You wish it would just go away and the, the flood would recede. But remember this. God didn't remove the river. He provided a way through it. He will do the same for you and for me. What we're looking for is just on the other side as we follow him. And what we're truly looking for is a commitment to follow him. And that's the last thing I want to ask you to consider as the worship team would come. Maybe you're wondering this. What's beyond this life? Some of you may be old enough to know the expression of, well, when I cross that Jordan, right? When I cross that Jordan to the other side. But maybe you do wonder, what's next? What's beyond this life? When we cross to this, from this life to the next, it will be where you have never been before. I have good news for you. You don't have to fear that. Because God has made a way. He chose another leader. His name is Jesus Christ to lead us in that crossing. When we put our faith in him and accept him as our savior, we then have the confidence to say, I can enter the promised land. You can anticipate that instead of wondering what's next and oh my goodness, will I be ready and what if and, 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 and worry. We don't have to worry. Because you see, putting your faith in Christ allows you to trust in God to fulfill his promise for your life. Despite your doubts and fears and failures, Jesus loved us and laid down his life for us. Despite our failures and imperfections, while our life was still at flood stage, he gave himself for us. You would stand with me this morning. I have this question. As you consider what we've heard this morning, will you, like Joshua, be strong and courageous? For many people, it takes strength and courage to make that kind of decision. To say, you know what? I'm tired of living the life I've been living. I want to do something else. I want my life to look different. Maybe you're tired of not having direction and saying, God, I just need some direction. Set my asthma. I'm, I'm tired of wandering around out here in this wilderness. The good news is, God.
God wants to do amazing things in your life. He wants to do amazing things with your life. And He wants to do amazing things among us as a congregation. As we pray this morning, I ask that you would just in your, examine your heart and say, God, God, where am I? Where am I? Where Am I at flood stage? Am I lost? Am I wandering around? Do I need to consecrate myself to you? Have I been playing games? Or God, you placed this burden on my heart to be a leader, and I need your help because I can't do it by myself. Whatever that may be, I ask that you would just say, God, I want to commit that to you. I give it to you. If you want to come forward, chaplain will meet you at the front. If you prefer to stay right where you are, then please join me as we pray today. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your leadership, and I thank you, God, for your word. I ask that this word would speak to our hearts. God, that you would compel us to follow you, to be totally committed and devoted to you. Father, if there are people here this morning who have been chosen to be leaders and they are fearful and doubtful and just not quite comfortable in that place where they find themselves, I ask that you would reassure them knowing that you are with them. Help them to be strong and courageous leaders, God. Father, if there are people who have been toying with their faith, who aren't totally consecrated and committed to you, who have hung on to those things that keep us from following you fully. God, I pray that they would just leave that right here with you right now. Just lay it down and walk out of the chapel without it. God, deliver them from the things, the imperfections, the sin, the guilt that we bear. Father, if there are people who are struggling with the flood of their life, I ask, God, that you would assure them you are big enough to calm the wind and the waves. God, that you will calm their hearts and that you will let them know that although you may not remove the obstacle, that you will help them through that obstacle. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus Christ. If there is anyone here who is struggling with the courage, having the courage to step out in faith and follow you, I ask that this word would speak to their heart and that they would choose, God, to make Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. I pray that they would not leave this place today the same as they came, that they would consecrate and commit themselves to you. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for this opportunity to share your word today. I ask these things in your precious holy name. That was this week's All-American Chapel Protestant Service podcast. Please tune in for next week's podcast.